it's already the last Sunday in November. The, um, I don't know about you, but the last eight weeks went uh, pretty quick when we had planned to do this uh, reading through um, Immerse Messiah. Um, that seemed like a long stretch, and it went pretty quickly. And um, for many of us, the last eight weeks have included reading this, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and ask today, I've been avoiding asking, but how, how many actually did get all the readings done? Okay, okay, good, good, good. I, I, I did too. I kept up with it. I couldn't ask you to do what I wasn't going to do, not to mention the fact that I enjoyed it. But uh, um, the good news is, um, no guilt for anybody else. You get some more time. Doesn't mean you have to, oh, I didn't read the Bible, so I guess I'm not going to now. You can keep reading. Um, and actually, I know some of the small groups have extended a little bit. Some small groups are looking at this, but only meet every other week. And then actually last week, we decided in our Sunday school discussion that the Next three Sundays, the 2nd, 9th, and 16th of December, we will continue to discuss the end of the, the last few readings from um, Gospel of John, and then the readings from 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then on the 16th, uh, the readings from Revelation. Um, as we've been reading these last couple of weeks especially, it seems that the theme often uh, revolves around the issues of struggle. Uh, struggle against persecution, struggle against suffering, the struggle to hang on to the, the faith. Um, uh, the book of Revelation seems to be anticipating more struggle and more persecution from the, the powerful Roman Empire. And it seemed as the readers of that day were reading, it was much about the, the power of Rome at the time, and yet obviously there were some future realities there. There's also woven through many of these New Testament books, and especially in these last couple of weeks, this theme of struggle with, with false teaching. I know there was some expectation that um, that today uh, you would come and be in the last one in our series and the last book we read was Revelation that I would answer all of the questions about the meaning of Revelation. And um, since I could only come up with most of the answers for Revelation, I just didn't want to disappoint you with the last few things I hadn't figured out yet. Um, seriously, that was just a bit much to take on in, in one Sunday, not to mention... Um, perhaps a whole year. Uh, it is a book filled with great mystery, uh, great worship, uh, and ultimately great hope and the triumph of Jesus. There, that's my really short sermon on Revelation. <laughs> but as I looked at all these readings, as I was looking ahead over the last couple weeks, I land, decided to land today in this first book of First John. Because John is uh, is dealing with a lot of these struggles of the people too of persecution and particularly the struggle against false teaching in the first century uh, of the of the church there was all kinds of attacks on the faith that were giving different interpretations uh, to the person of Christ and what it meant to live the Christian life. But John is not a it's not it, it, John is also a book that's full of great hope and great love. There's a the theme of love is woven through it. In fact, I just loved reading 1 John all the way through in one day this last week. It was fun just to sit down and read it start to finish and to see how he was appealing to the people uh, with the reality of Jesus and the power of, of loving one another and the ability to defeat some of the enemies that were out there. One of my favorite verses from John, 1 John uh, is from chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are, or as such we are. As I look back on my records, it was one of my very first sermons as a very young, dark-haired pastor in 1981 was on that text because I've always loved it so much. Another great passage comes from chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, where John writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And in chapter 4, verse 4, it's written this way in the New Living, Stan- New Living uh, Translation. The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And we may know it in older translations. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Words of hope. And then the passage that we just heard, picking out two of the verses in the middle of it. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. This is rich, good stuff, isn't it? So I love to read 1 John. It encourages my faith. There's a lot in here about who God is and about who we should be in relationship to him. Along with these themes of light and dark, I hear themes of truth and what I would call authenticity in here. And that's exactly where I want to go today for a few minutes here. In his first letter, John uses the imagery of light to point to the truth. The truth of who Jesus really is and the truth about who we, who we really can be as we follow him. We're going to look first of all at authentic faith. This point that uh, Kayla made as she introduced a song and I prayed about that th- this is real stuff. God gets real with us. It's an authentic faith in a living, real Savior. And then secondly, what this means for us as followers to be authentic followers. Getting real, we get real then with God and with each other. The very first verse says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have seen and heard. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. John was an eyewitness. This is the Apostle John. And John wants to make sure to the people that he's writing to and the Spirit saw fit that this book stay in our Bibles this day that we are knowing the real Jesus, knowing the real Jesus. And that was the nature of some of the, the false teaching and the darkness that John refers to. Uh, they were being hammered with this false teaching and it came from a Greek belief, a Greek philosophical belief that only the spirit is good, only the spiritual side of our life is good and that physical matter is evil. So real, real human bodies are, are evil matter. The only thing that's good about us and relates to God is the, the spirit that dwells within us. And that's why people who held to that philosophical view ex- uh, had a difficult time accepting the true flesh and blood humanity of Jesus. A lot of the heresies that happened in the first century and even after that uh, revolved around the fact that people could not accept that Jesus was actually a flesh and blood human and God at the same time. And so this belief persisted that that spirit is good and physical is bad. And related to that false belief was also a false morality. That is that anything that is done in or with the body had no spiritual consequence. So when someone was to indulge the appetites and particularly the sexual appetites, that it did not matter what you did with your body. What mattered was your spirit being enlightened. And another part of uh, this false morality is that there was very little concern for other people. It was a self-absorbed kind of a spirituality. And so there was little care for others, little love for others. And so that's why so much of John's uh, letter here talks about genuine love. This is genuine love. 
And the lack of that love in these people was a clue to their inauthenticity. See, some of these were also they're claiming to be super spiritual. That they knew special spiritual things that only a few people could know. That was another uh, aspect of this false teaching. And to all of these beliefs, then John says, Hey, we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We ate meals with him. He fixed meals for us. He was totally human. And we witnessed the resurrection. We actually heard audibly God the Father's approval of him. And we are now experiencing a whole different quality of life now that we know him the real Jesus. We are eyewitnesses. We are life witnesses that Jesus is fully God and fully man. We are witnesses that God gets real with us. John says ours is an authentic faith because we know the risen living Jesus. But John's concern and his teaching are concerned with more than just believing the right thing. This authentic faith also has a direct bearing on their life together. And this is this idea of of being together. Knowing the real Jesus together leads to some deeper connections and deep joy even, he says. In verse 3, let me try to explain. He says, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, in a sense, what he's saying here is that authentic faith is also, it's lived between me and God, but it's also lived together. The relationships that we build with God through Christ and with each other in the Christian community make up authentic faith. It's these relationship, this relationship And it's definitely these relationships. And in these relationships are deep connections and deep joy. We proclaim this so you would have fellowship with each other and have joy together. As a pastor, I love watching this happen in the life of a faith community. And I was just reflecting on even just the last several weeks here. Uh, A couple weeks ago, our stewardship team working so well together and planning and and putting together the stewardship event a couple weeks ago and even cleaning up in the kitchen afterwards and evaluating together. It was kind of fun because I'd been on vacation for two weeks. I just showed up and sat there for the event and just kind of watched it happen. But I could see some deeper connections happening as they're working together and and they're working with the truth about stewardship, not just the details of a meal and faith promise cards. Deeper connections bring a deeper joy. Pastor Diana is encouraging us with, uh, without specific stories, but with, with evidence of deeper connection with her Tuesday morning women, and you know who you are. The Tuesday morning women are connecting more deeply than ever and building deeper relationships and finding joy in that. Last Friday night, I was uh, at the Wyman celebration with uh, nine others from our, our, our church here. And, and two of the people at our table from our church were discussing and sort of taking great delight uh, in their small group and the deep connection that they'd met just the night before. And they were delighting in the deeper connections that have come by being in a small group together for many years. And even after more than two years, the trip that many of our in our church, along with members of Wyman, took to Nicaragua two and a half years ago. Those connections are impacting our, 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 our community even today. Martina and Luisa Bonilla are here. And even though it's wonderful to be here, you'd rather be home in a safe and happy Nicaragua, wouldn't you? But because of the connections that were built on Net Mission Trip, the relationship that Kayla and Diana and others have had, um, We have joy in having you in our midst and part of our congregation and learning from you. So you see, those are the things that fellowship isn't just 
coffee and chit-chat. It's these deeper connections and authentic faith grows as we, we do these things together, when we experience them together. And John says they result in joy. Verse 4 says, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. John says, I, I get all excited thinking about it, but I want you to realize what God is doing in your midst. This is good. This is right. This is real. Thank you, Jesus. And then on to this theme of light. You know, lighting matters. Those of you who are, have been around for a while know that we, we, have some, we have some lighting issues in our church, okay? This building's getting kind of old, and there's some places we need to update our lighting. Uh, if you've had to use the fellowship hall lately, you know that sometimes those lights take uh, several minutes to, uh, to warm up. Uh, the kitchen, there are six panels in the kitchen, and, and they take turns which one's not going to work. I, it's kind of fun to go in the kitchen and go, I wonder which one's not going to turn on today, because rarely are all six on at the same time. So we, we, have, we have some lighting issues. The good news is uh, that we're addressing some of those. We're getting some quotes on changing some of that. We may work on that a little bit into the new year. Um, but one area where light, the lighting this, has really bothered me, every, in the last few years, every time I walked in the library, I'd turn the lights on and I'd groan and remark, this room is so dingy. Well, um, Sid Scott is our lighting hero. So if you see Scott say things, I kind of want to get him like a little sash or a crown or something. But Sid has, has really persisted. He's worked on a lot of the lighting. And Sid found the right LED bulb, uh, the right brightness so that they're all the same. And now I walk in the library and go, this is great. It's right in there now. And we've, he's addressed the issue. It makes a huge difference for meetings and classes that we have in there. Because lighting matters. Light matters. Literal light matters for guidance, for safety. And when we're figuratively speaking of lighting, we're talking about light for, uh, it matters for truth and authenticity. Literal darkness hides and obscures and we can trip and fall. And, and, and the spiritual impact of, of darkness can, 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 can disguise lies and evil. And the light reveals what's real. Lighting matters. Authentic faith is a faith lived in the full light of Jesus Christ. In verse 5, John says, This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. In fact, yesterday when I was reading um, uh, in the final pages of, of Revelation, uh, I, have a red, I use a red pen. I've been marking things in the, in, the, in the book and in the margins and I came across those two places where it two places in the very last chapter of Revelation. It describes the, the, the holy city of God, the future, future uh, heaven and earth and says there will be no need for the sun anymore because all the light comes from the Holy One. Yeah. This is the message we've heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. More than just a characteristic of God, John is drawing on an Old Testament imagery of light that has more to do actually with finding the right path. It's not just light shining, but it's light shining so that we know where to go. We'll hear soon from one of the texts in Advent of the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And then that wonderful psalm, that says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. The light not only makes it it just easier to see around us, but to see where to go. Authentic faith in in God of light will help us know how to live and will enable us then, secondly, to not only have an authentic faith, but to be authentic followers. Authentic followers. 
as we get to verse 6, John begins to zero in on these false teachers. But what he observes and says really speaks to the broader picture of our own authenticity. He uses this phrase or formula, if we claim to be, but don't, then. If we say we are, but we don't do this, then how can we be? So he uses this sort of a, a formula there. It's what I call about being honest about our, our walk and our talk. Let's pick up at 6 and 7 where it says this. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. If we are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's really being honest about our walk and our talk. There are too many sad and disappointing stories about people living double lives these days. Hidden secrets, hidden addictions, hidden abuse, hidden affairs. Some of these have been big stories of betrayal and broken trust among celebrities and politicians and religious leaders and other high-profile people. But when we're really honest with ourselves... We all do it to a varying degree. <laughs> there, there's the pretense of who we think we ought to be and, and want to be. There's that, that sense of what others expect us to be or to say. There's the things we do to draw the approval and the affirmation of others. And then there's the little things, the little quiet things that we do, that we think about, that we let our mind dwell on, that we look at, that we read, that we drink, that we swallow or that we buy that may seem harmless but are all done to sometimes just to ease some sort of emotional pain or or, or reducing of stress or to meet a need of loneliness and anger. Whatever it is that feeds sort of a self-absorption even if these aren't terribly destructive things if they're they're focused on us and just sort of trying to manage our own stress in life they can all lead to sort of a self-absorption Well, not sort of. They do lead to self-absorption. And whenever we're becoming increasingly self-absorbed, we distance ourselves from others that we need and need to be connected with. And that can sometimes take us to even darker places. In our walk with Christ and with other believers, there is the hope of honesty and authenticity of stepping into the light and dealing with some of this stuff, of stepping into the light of God's grace and unconditional love. When we bring this stuff to God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but rather there is healing and there's hope to work on some of these inner struggles. There's even hope for sharing deeply with others and finding not only that others struggle with the same things, but that light breaks forth when the truth is told and healing can happen. When Megan and I were on vacation a few weeks ago, we had we listened uh, while we were driving quite a ways to um, some of you know the speaker and um, researcher Brene Brown, and she wasn't referring to this book, but she referred to a title of one of her earlier books was "I thought I was the only one," or "I thought it was just me." I thought it was just me. And we find that out when we when we when we share a little bit of our own personal struggle that others go, "You worry about that? I worry about it. You struggle with that? You feel guilty about that?" I feel. And when we can share with a safe person, we can get more real, more authentic, and we can have a more honest walk and talk. 
when we get more honest about failure and forgiveness. Verses 8 and 9 of this morning's text say this, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unwickedness. All wickedness. The text says this confession is to God, if we confess to God, but but it may very well mean a confession to each other can be involved in this as well because uh, John talks a lot about life and community. Now, confession is not something we necessarily do in public uh, worship or out loud, but in appropriate and safe settings within the community. In fact, I was thinking about this too as uh, Pastor Diana's book is about to be released on December 11th. And um, it's, it's about spiritual practices. And sometimes we've done this here where we will do what's called the prayer of examine, where you kind of reflect on your day and you say, where was God present? And where, uh, where, where, did I, where was he not present to me? And when you reflect on your day and you say, where did I fail to, to, to follow him? And we, there's, there's ways to share that with each other. We may not go to the deepest, darkest places, but sometimes it gives us that opportunity in a spiritual practice like that to come clean a little bit. That's authentic community, and that encourages us to be authentic followers. But did I mention that this is really hard? <laughs> did I mention that this is really hard work? Did I mention this is particularly scary for some of us? Did I mention that it's easier for me to talk about this than to do this sometimes? Did I mention that it's easier for us to define fellowship and community building as fun activities and events and shared projects? Those are important for building the foundation and building friendships with each other. But they can't replace the real-life stuff of working together to get real with God and to get real with each other. Real faith, solid faith, authentic faith, Authentic followers. Another way to say it is, how can I be the best me? How can I be the me that God created me to be? Or as John Ortberg cleverly says it in his book, God doesn't want you to be holier. He wants you to be youier. <laughs> More you, the one that God created you to be. The singer-songwriter known as Lauv, L-A-U-V, had a hit single during the last year entitled, I Like Me Better When I'm With You. I don't recommend all the lyrics, but I like the title of it. And when I read about it, it reminded me of a story that I found several years ago, and you may have heard it before, but I I, want to share it because it kind of gets at this, how can I be the best me? It goes this way. As part of an assignment for a doctoral thesis, a college student spent a year with a group of Navajo Indians on a reservation in the Southwest. As he did his research, he lived with one family, sleeping in their hut, eating their food, working with them, and generally living the life of a 20th century Navajo. A close friendship developed between the student and the grandmother. They spent a great deal of time sharing a friendship that was meaningful to each, yet unexplainable to someone else. In spite of the language difference, they shared the common language of love and understood each other. When it was time for him to return to the campus and, um, and write his thesis, the tribe held a going-away celebration. It was marked by sadness since the young man had become close to the whole village and all would miss him. As he prepared to get up into the pickup truck and leave, the old grandmother came to tell him goodbye. With tears streaming from her eyes, she placed her hands on either side of his face looked directly into his eyes and said, I like me best when I'm with you. I like me best when I'm with you. 
I thought of this this week because I will make a small confession that I began this week just a little grumpy. <laughs> just a little grumpy, feeling a little bit sluggish. Call it, you know, coming off a couple weeks of vacation with one week of recovery, I don't know, pre-holiday, perhaps this persistent cold gray skies. I admit I am not a fallen winter person and it plays on me. But there was other stuff going on too. I was reflecting even on my own spirituality as I was reading this stuff and, and to be quite honest, just reflecting on my life as a pastor and, 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 and how that impacts how I do my own spirituality and then looking on to the time when I won't be the pastor standing up in front of people and sharing my own stories like this but really living that life uh, how, however I will do it. So some of that was mixed in there as well. As it would be, I had a perfectly timed meeting on Tuesday afternoon set up with my spiritual director. And as he listened to me babble on, I know that's hard to believe that I would babble on a lot like that, but I did a lot. <laughs> so nice to have a spiritual director that lets me do that and ask very simple questions like, and so where is God in this? <laughs> and as he shared with me, he provided some perspective and helped me kind of answer my own questions. And it was a very simple assurance to me of the presence of Jesus. I know that. I'm a, I know that Jesus is present. But it was really helpful to have my spiritual director remind me of that in the midst of my kind of grumpiness. And as I returned that day, I came right back here to my office. I returned to sermon prep that day. And this story jumped back out at me. And I thought, you know, I like me better when I'm with Jesus. <laughs> I, I like me better when I'm with Jesus. I like me better And I like me better with others when I'm living in that honest place with Jesus too and trusting him and being real and honest about things and yet really walking and trusting Jesus. I want to be able to look at Jesus in the face and say, I like me better when I'm with you. And I want to look in the face of my fellow Jesus follower and say, I like me best when I'm with you. This is an old, old book. And the issues facing the church in the first century in many ways were so different. Such a different world. And yet John touches on things that enter right into the midst of who we are and how we live now as people seeking to follow the living Jesus as authentic people. So I just leave you with one question as we close. Where might be God calling you to a deeper authenticity with him? and with yourself and with others. Let's reflect on that for a moment as we close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the richness of your word. Thank you for the reassurance that comes from its pages and for the reminders of your faithfulness and the depth of your love and your grace. We're also grateful, Lord, for the challenges that it brings us to go deeper, deeper into you, deeper into ourselves with you, and deeper into community, Lord. Lord, as the world seems to get crazier and crazier, this truth seems to be more and more vital to how we survive and thrive as people who genuinely follow the living God. Lord, help us in these weeks ahead to do just that. As we honor you and serve you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.